Hi-ho, hi-ho, and off to work we go for Reading FC this weekend as Coventry come to town to restart the Royals' championship campaign after the World Cup break. Lodged firmly in mid-table after what has, let's be honest, been a surprisingly solid start to the season. The question is whether it will be Reading fans singing E-I-E-I-O come May. Welcome to the Tylerson Podcast, episode 317. It is a delight to be back with you after the World Cup break. We've had a couple of little episodes to go out, which we'll update you on in a little bit. But joining me this week, we'll have a bit of a Reading chat and also a championship chat to work out exactly where we are. Firstly is the Tylerson's Ross Weber joining us again this week. How's it going, mate? Doing really well, thank you. How you doing, Mark? Yeah, I'm not too bad, not too bad. We'll have a bit of a World Cup chat as well, which we've just been doing off air. So <laughs> enjoyable, yep, uh, plenty to uh, plenty to talk about this week for sure. Even with you know Reading haven't played for a few weeks, and also joining us for his Tyler Sten podcast debut to inform us on what exactly goes on in the Championship outside of Berkshire, which to be honest, I don't frankly care about usually. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> worth checking in this week. Is a uh, Gabriel and how's it going, mate? I'm very well, thanks, Mark. It's not actually my Talhurst then debut. I think I have been on uh, on the podcast before, but always a pleasure to uh, come on. Look forward to chatting about Reading and the Championship. Oh, well, it's certainly good to... You've got a better memory than me in that case, which is always good. <laughs> That's a basic starting point for <laughs> being on this podcast. Um, so we'll well, get I mean, in... I'd imagine if you're a Reading fan, you don't need to have a memory of the last five years. So Exactly, yeah. We just try and forget most of it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's why this podcast will be yeah, more yeah, of a Yeah, Sam's just gone, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't need memories of that. Um, yeah, let, let, we'll, we'll do a bit of a recap um, of kind of what's been going on for the season, just to kind of refresh ourselves where we are. We'll also be talking, you know, what's coming up for Reading. Obviously, the championship as a whole, as we've got Gab with us. And later on, we'll be doing the big match preview with Coventry, which I'll get in early as a 2pm kickoff for anyone who's not noticed that. I know that not everyone's glued to their phones like we are. So uh, just to let you know that the kickoff has been moved for Saturday. Um, so we'll get into that in a second. Before that... As always, a big thank you to our sponsors, ZCZ Films, and our Patreon subscribers, and a polite nudge into what we've been doing. A couple of episodes have gone up over the uh, the mid-season break. I chatted with Jordan Holsgrove, who is a Reading Academy midfielder who went off to uh, Celta Vigo in Spain, now is playing in Portugal, and also... Uh, Ollie and Ben spoke to Tom McIntyre for a Movember mental health special podcast, which I would highly recommend you check out if you have not yet. Right then, let's uh, go into the recap and talk about what's coming up next for Reading after this World Cup break. Come rain or shine, it's time to relive the latest match action with the recap. This podcast is sponsored by ZCZ Films, Reading's oldest ultras. Right, guys, well, it feels a little bit weird that football domestically is back for Reading at least. But um, because the World Cup hasn't actually finished yet. So let's just have a little bit of World Cup chat. I know everyone's um, fully engrossed in it, unless you happen to be a Uruguayan. So, uh, Ross, then, how have you been uh, How have you been enjoying it? I know you're uh, a, an Englishman out in the States, which must have been quite interesting right. for one of the group uh, stages, at least. Um, how are you finding it? It's been really fun. Um, I've been getting more involved. So I live up here in Portland, Maine, um, on the Atlantic Ocean, and I've been having a really great time sort of interacting with the wider Portland, Maine um, soccer, as they'll call it, community um, in the last year or so. And, and that's really led to some fun connections. And I've met a lot of American, um, I'm going to call it football now, football fans um, out here, which has been great, um, where I watched the first game, Ecuador versus Qatar. Um, uh, was actually a um, sort of like as British of a beer garden as you could create uh, in an American city. The only problem was it was well below freezing and it was, um, I think it was 11 a.m. in the morning that game started. So uh, a couple of cold ones in the cold um, to start the World Cup. It was certainly a, a fun experience. But no, it's been really good. Um, obviously, the USA-England game out here was very tense for my family. Um, my uh, my wife's family are all avid football fans too. So I uh, I was very stressed out for that one and, and 
that probably the happiest Englishman um, going with a nil-nil draw. Is, is your wife USA, Ross? Or is, she is, is she, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. So a bit of uh, bit of intermarriage rivalry. Exactly, then. yeah. She wouldn't tell me who she was supporting until uh, until the USA were knocked out. And then she's so, like, right. yeah, I'm an England fan through and through. So. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I think there have been a lot of Welsh yeah, fans doing that as well, actually. Yeah, yes, that's true. Um, well, I suppose nil-nil was the perfect result in that sense for England versus USA. Um, for, for a Reading point of view, we've had Junior Hoylett, who's actually, I think, had a really good yeah. World Cup with Canada, um, started a couple of games. And what was making me laugh was on Twitter, everyone who obviously isn't a Reading fan saying, oh, Junior Hoylett, I remember him. And it's like, yeah, he's still decent. That's still a thing. Um, Mavadu Loom didn't get on the pitch for Senegal and uh, Babu Arman played a couple of times. For Ghana, getting an assist against Portugal, although let's face it, he did make a bit of an error against Portugal as well. So, um, yeah, as you'd, as you'd kind of expect for Reading players, the little bit of a surprise and a couple of errors thrown in for good measure. Gab, what, uh, what Football League and Championship players have caught your eye as, as well as any Reading players over the World Cup so far? Well, unfortunately, I can't contribute at all to World Cup conversation because I've just felt incredibly disconnected from this World Cup. Um, I think from from my point of view, it's very difficult to separate this World Cup from a lot of the, the atrocities that are existing in Qatar. I have been able to park it a little bit to watch the England games. I was planning not to, actually, but then it was kind of a last minute decision where it kind of felt like, come on, it's England to World Cup. And I, I, I find it difficult to go away from that. But in terms of my like, once what if England lose to France, I'm I you know I might as well not know who wins the World Cup. I've got no interest in it. I'm only interested in if, if as far as England uh, are in it. I I don't really feel connected to the World Cup. Um, but I hoping I hope it's coming home. So that's pretty much where I am on it. No, that's fair enough. You're, uh, you're obviously totally, um, totally welcome to that viewpoint. Certainly won't find any difficulty with that viewpoint here. And yeah, I think it's that's certainly a, something that a lot of people have felt. Um, and yeah, I think to be able, to be fair, also Gab, there's been lots of football league going on over the last few weeks, which has given you plenty well, to be is, watching as well. Well, this is the well. other thing as well. Um, actually, I, I think I think that's a really good point. Like normally, I, I don't know what either of you two think, but sometimes it's actually. What makes a World Cup is the fact that you have like about a month where there's no football or at least a couple of weeks, say. And that's kind of what gets you giddy because it's like you get kind of excited about it. For me, and especially being someone that works kind of covering the Football League and that kind of thing, it's like the World Cup's going on while the EFL's going on. So it's actually, it's quite difficult to get myself into a mindset where I'm thinking, oh, I'm really excited about what's going to go on in this game because I'm sort of focused on other stuff. So I think that's kind of played into it as well. Whereas I think if you're probably a Premier League fan, you might have a slightly different mindset to the World, to the World Cup because it's the only top level football that's going on. It's been really weird having it at this time. I think one of the narratives that I found interesting about it being in at Christmas or, or, or this sort of holiday period um, for us, because it was there were games on Thanksgiving for us as well. Um, it's been really interesting to see the players at a different part of their cycle in terms of the season. Um, so obviously, like the, there's been complaints before that by the time a World Cup comes around, English players are just completely physically exhausted they don't have anything left in the tank right now though in theory these players who are playing in the premier league and the other big leagues around europe should be right in form at the moment so it's been very interesting to see how that change in time has affected um the the form of some of the teams it will and it'll be interesting to see to swing things back into a reading point of view exactly how the players who have been away are now going to play and that's because you know Hoylett and Rahman have been playing top level football have been obviously training at a really high level over the last week that are guys you know they've been in Tenerife not saying that there's mm-hmm. kind of low level work going on there but it's been um it's been perhaps a different atmosphere more of a steady build up to uh to this return to action although it's only been a few weeks off so I think um it'll be interesting to see for sure the players that have been at the World Cup how they get on of course whether they're even in the team our guys haven't really played too much but there are a couple of uh you know championship players who've played every minute and such going into it so one to watch for the weekend game but hopefully um just benefits us really if uh if Oilet and Rahman are even sharper than who they're playing against let's talk about 
the first half of Reading's season then that we've seen, although it's, we're kind of at about a two-fifth stage in the season, aren't we, really? We're not actually even halfway through yet, 21 games. Uh, 45%, I think, as Bobbins put it in, in his latest uh, column. Yeah, which which is a given that you also have all the cup games and potentially playoffs and stuff coming up. We certainly aren't quite there yet, but makes an interesting situation. Reading at the moment, two points off the playoffs, six points off the relegation zone. Only four teams have lost more games. Only three teams have won more games. And on paper, at least Reading, one of the worst defences. So, Ross, what's good? we've had a bit of chance to reflect on it now. We always like to stay on the tireless stand that we'll, you know, we reflect on these things and come back with a calm, reasoned viewpoint. Um, where on the scale of utter disaster to absolute pandemonium miracle is the uh, first half of the season going to rank for you as a Reading fan? I think right now um, the MVP in my mind as I think about the first half of the season has been Ryan Longman's knee. Um, I think if that uh, goal from uh, Carroll's header doesn't go in off Ryan Longman against Hull right at the end of that game, then that break might have felt a bit different because obviously we were starting to slide a bit in terms of results, not necessarily in terms of performance. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the Luton game um, when I visited recently, and and I thought that Reading played really well that day against a decent team, Um, but they just weren't getting the results anymore. And so I I think that getting that win before the break was really important. Um, The order in which the the good results have come this season has kind of skewed some perspectives, I think. I know that at the start of the season, most of us were just looking to survive, Um, and that's very much still the case for myself, as boring as that is, but uh, I think that little that boost to start the season perhaps had some people looking a little bit higher up um, in a way that maybe isn't quite sustainable. My goal for this season is if we're effectively done by March, I will be thrilled. That is, that's great. Um, and, and I think that the first half of the season put us on a track to be able to do that. And it's whether that slide continues or whether with a little bit of a break, you know, with that trip in Tenerife where everyone seems to be having a lovely time and getting that um, group atmosphere going again, um, I think that it could still be a good second half. So I think good first half in terms of, uh, certainly in terms of performances, um, some results could have been better, but I think that hot start um, has given us a nice cushion to to sit on for a mm-hmm. bit. I just just to add to that that point that Ross was uh, was making as well. I think uh, getting to fifty points, I think, should still be very much the target for Reading for a couple of reasons. The first one would be that I think that it would be very difficult to nail down a bottom three that are very likely to go down. Whereas last season you had Peterborough. Um, who probably weren't quite good enough for the level. Barnsley, who had massive issues in terms of uh, massive drop-off. And then uh, you had uh, Derby, who had the points deduction. And it was pretty obvious that those three would likely be the bottom three. Um, I don't see that this time around. I think there's probably a little bit more uncertainty over whether some of the team, and actually Reading, Birmingham, my team, Rotherham as well, they would have been the three that most people would have gone with before the season. They're actually, all three of them are in mid-table, and I think that creates a little bit of uncertainty over the over the relegation battle. The other point that I would also raise is that the um, uh, the financial issues become a little bit easier or in terms of the restrictions. They're lifted a little bit next season. So if Reading can stay up this year, then obviously that takes a little bit of pressure off and it gives you maybe a window to to build something. So I, I think for both those reasons I've mentioned there, I think it's still very much about ticking off 50 points. Mm. Yeah, Gab, what would you say? What would you say is the kind of neutrals view on Reading this season? How because obviously I think everyone was thinking, even you know, Reading fans aside, that this team was going to be going down. Has has the first half of the season changed that perspective, or is there still kind of a sense, maybe even an expectation that we'll collapse and what people expected to happen will still happen? Well, I, I think there's there's a few things to unpack here. I think that the first one would be that 
naturally there is a little bit of scepticism about the, the Paul Ince appointment because he had spent uh, so many years uh, out of the game, was it eight years? Um, and I think when you appoint a manager in those circumstances, there's obviously some questions. I think he did a sort of six out of ten job last season, maybe seven out of ten job this year. Um, but um, and listen, all credit to him for that because he's found a way to to get some results. Um, I also think that possibly, and maybe I, I'm a little bit guilty of this as well. Maybe not quite um, understanding the significance of some of the structural changes that we've seen. Where um, I think it's Dai Younger taken a bit of a step back more recently they've appointed Mark Bowen as a um is a technical director that's the term so he's sort of overseeing some of the footballing operations so there's been one or two changes off the field which probably makes things um a little bit easier and is probably why you you may be outperforming expectation from from the outside so what's next for Reading then because you know in terms of a key area to improve it feels a bit of a weird one because Reading have one of the worst defensive records in the league and yet I don't feel like that's necessarily our worst point because we've tended to concede goals in in kind of spurts where, you know, we've had a couple of 4-0 defeats. Um, you know, generally speaking, when we have won games, we've actually looked pretty decent defensively. Some some of the losses, you know, Burnley, for example, you wouldn't really put down to, to defensive errors as such. Um, so where, where do we kind of think that Reading needs to improve? It's it's a bit it's a difficult one for us Reading fans, isn't it, Ross? Because we know the the personnel that we have in attack is so strong, certainly at this level, and kind of coordinating that into a proper plan and everything. And I would say is where I think that Reading can actually still do a lot better. I would agree. Uh, one of the, I think um, the main takeaway I had for uh, for things that Reading need to improve on um, in the second half of the season is that they need to score the third goal more often. Um, they've only scored three, I think, twice this season so far. So you're only scoring two. You're just constantly leaving yourself open to just dropping points um, and letting things go. That that um, you know that really bad defense. It, it certainly hasn't been perfect, but I think Reading have a bit of a habit of collapsing um, when they when they do concede. Um, so the team the way the team is set up to me it looks as though it's been set up to play either from a drawer or with a lead um and when we have to start playing behind that's when things can get quite ragged quite quickly so that leads to you know pushing the wingbacks further forward which might leave space in behind um i love our academy Tom's very, very much Tom McIntyre, Tom Holmes, both great players bring different things to the table. Uh, none of those are speed. And so when um, they are left to defend against guys who are running straight at them, um, if we're chasing a lead, sometimes that can be a little bit ropey. So I think that really um, we're doing a good job of putting together a team that can compete on the front foot um, from either a drawing or a winning position. I'd like to see them um push their attack forward a little bit more to ensure that they take those points. Can I uh, just ask you, Ross, uh, just to kind of follow up on the point about Holmes and McIntyre, because I would also think that you without some big centre-backs. Obviously, Scott Dan hasn't played this season. Um, a lot of centre-backs have been injured, actually. Liam Moore's been absent, hasn't he? Uh, Nabi Sars, quite a big big lad. He's still to come back. Do you think that you've got uh, that Holmes and McIntyre are capable of heading balls out of the box uh, and, and sort of doing the basics? Or do you think you're a little bit short in that department because of the injuries? I certainly think that they're they're a little bit short, and I think that the way that you see that manifested is um, when I was at the Luton game. Every time there was a ball into the box, they send Andy Carroll back to head things out again, and then he's <laughs> got to trek all the way back up the pitch. It's a long way for him. He's a long way from the ground. <laughs> he's um, an old man now, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Yeah, I know. So it's a it's a tricky one. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, it would be nice to have some of that centre back steel. Uh, I think that Sam Hutchinson has been. Um, um, very good at keeping that defense calm. And I think that Tom Holmes, when he has someone like Hutchinson alongside him, 
He's actually quite proficient at defending crosses into the box. I'm, I'm not so sure about McIntyre. I tend to see him more as a, a kind of defender who can step out and, and break the lines a little bit. Is, is he five foot eleven as well, McIntyre? So it's or something yeah. along those lines. So yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, and I think he scored some goals from corners um, towards the end of last season and the start of this one. But I think that both of them fell to his feet. So uh, that might uh, <laughs> that might yeah, sum that up quite nicely. Yeah, but would love to see Nabisar back. That's the one. For me that uh, I, I liked him at Huddersfield actually Naby Sarr I think he's a good a good ball playing defender I think he's probably one that's uh, that's gotten uh, the the odd error in him even when he plays really well but I think he's someone mm-hmm. who can do the basics in terms of heading balls out of the box and he gives you a bit of ball playing uh, quality um, yeah. and reasonably mobile as well so I think he would tick a lot a lot of boxes and if he wasn't prone to the occasional error in a game he'd probably be a, a Premier League defender so I think that's one that could really help uh, solidify Reading and maybe help stop you uh, you know conceding as many goals because I think like Mark alluded to it's not a case of you being a bad side defensively it's just you need to tighten up at certain moments yeah, yeah. I think you only mentioned oh sorry Mark so, I was just going to say, I think you need, you You ask most Reading fans, and I think they tell you that Saar, Hutchinson and Holmes would be their top three first choice centre-backs. I think you get, you cover a lot of, a lot of what's, um, what's needed there. And there was a name there that Liam Moore was a name. Yeah. Is, is that just familiar? Something, I feel like there's some degree of familiarity to that name. <laughs> yeah, you, in theory, could come back. Um, he's on That's the, one on I'm the very injury. interested I'm really interested to see what happens there in in January. That's actually one of the things that I think I'm watching with a lot of interest because whenever you see him in the, um, whenever you see him, he's been shown up on those Tenerife shots a lot and he's, uh, he's clearly still hanging around the team. And, and I see Paul Ince in these photos always seems to get, be the guy who's around him talking to him. So I wonder if he's, you know, obviously after the statement that was made um, in January of last year, I think it was the the situation with Liam Moore became tricky. But I do wonder if they might be setting us up here for a, a return of, yeah. uh, of Liam Moore. Yeah, no, I think that I think that is going to happen, which is it's going to be really, really interesting to see how I think there's going to be some fans who are really not going to be keen for that. And there's some fans who are going to be kind of OK with it. And uh, God help him if he makes an error on his first game yeah. is all I'm going to say because I think that's going to be not particularly um, a good atmosphere if he does. Um, let's do a final couple of questions then for the uh, the recap before we go and talk about the Coventry game. Let's talk championship as a whole now. Um, Gab, you're an expert on all these things. You you watch more than just Reading, which I think is something you can do with the championship. I've never really tried it myself. Um <laughs> Who, why Why is it so tight this year? Why have we got, I mean, we've, as I was saying, Reading are two points off the playoffs and yet we're 13th and we're only six points off the drop zone. Uh, you know, teams, West Brom, Hull, Cardiff, not bad teams below us as well. So what's kind of going on that's different to other years? Wow, what a great question that is. Um, it's it's a fascinating season, Mark, because um, there's no mid-table this year. And as you quite rightly say, you're either um, five points above the drop zone or you're two points off the playoffs. You're not sort of in a mid-table area where you're kind of, uh, you've got either position at arm's length. So I think that means that um, every team has got to be a little bit on edge because their season could change in a moment. If you're on the cusp of the playoffs one moment, you know, a few defeats could flip things the other way. And then if you're just above the drop zone, like a West Brom or a Middlesbrough, you have got that potential to put a run together. And I think that means that... Um, well, it means a few teams, I think. I think it means that for yourselves and for Rotherham and for my team, Birmingham, we've all had uh, collected a healthy points tally and yet we're still very much in the business of ticking off 50 points. And yet, as I mentioned, Middlesbrough and West Brom who have had really poor starts and yet under new managers like Michael Carrick and Carlos Corbran, respectively, they've still got an outside chance of, of pushing on into the playoffs and making something of their season. Um in terms of why that is, um, I think there's um, a, few, a few reasons, really. I think, um, first of all, I think Burnley and Sheffield United are probably the two standout sides in the division. I think maybe Watford and Norwich are the two of the other favourites who uh, have been a little bit more vulnerable. And for that reason, you're kind of, there's more points up for grabs, I suppose, for the mid-table sides at the same time. 
as I mentioned earlier, the sides that we all expected to be down there have actually been a lot better, which meant which has meant that it's very difficult to pinpoint the three teams that are going down. Um, why that is, I think it's there's so many variables. It's difficult to give you a concrete answer to that, but it's certainly been fun to fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has been stressful at times because, as you say, when you lose. Yeah, when you lose a game, all of a sudden you think, oh, Christ, we're 13th now and only a few points off the drop zone when you thought you were in like a playoff fight. So it's a bit disorientating as a fan. You don't quite know how to place yourselves. In terms of what do we kind of expect for the second half of the season, Ed? Do we expect who, what teams do we maybe expect to be good, what to be bad? I mean, I, I, Sheffield United probably the best team I've seen um in the first half of the season but then when Blackburn came to us they were absolutely crap so it's <laughs> difficult to know exactly what sort of teams do we do we think are going to kind of pull up or pull down in that respect yeah I mean I, I, another really good question because it's so hard to uh to predict that one um I I think that based on the individual quality that Watford and Norwich have um, I would probably go with both those sides finishing in the top six, but I don't think either are going to be strong enough to challenge the top two. And I think the good thing for Burnley and Sheffield United is that there isn't an obvious contender because, as you rightly pointed out there, Blackburn are just incredibly uh, inconsistent. They're capable of producing a no-show like they did at your place. Um, and therefore, it's very difficult to see them uh, sort of finding the consistency required and I also think you've got a situation where anyone from Blackburn down to Birmingham or Middlesbrough, I think, could pro- will probably take points off one another between now and the end of the season. And with that in mind, it's very difficult to see either of those sides finding the consistency required to challenge for the top two. Um, I would expect Middlesbrough to uh, to push on in the second half of the season. I think Coventry have got a chance of finishing in the top six because they've got a couple of games in hand. So a chance for them to discover some momentum. I think West Brom could improve. Um, They win their game in hand. They're only five points off the playoffs. They've won three on the bounce under Carlos Corbran. Uh, But it's very difficult to pick a bottom three as well. Um, So... Uh, probably more questions than answers at the moment. I've almost forgotten your question, which I suppose shows you how how uh, befuddling the uh, the championship is. But we've we've loved every minute of it, um, following it from from the outside. And um, let's just hope that both our teams can can tick off those fifty points. You're listening to the Tarhurst End podcast by Reading fans for Reading fans. Part of me does wonder if 50 points will actually be enough, but we've certainly been... I'd much rather have the league this way than... I must admit, before the season, I was worried that your Norwiches, your Sheffield Uniteds and such were just kind of of walk away with it. I'm quite unhappy with the financial disparity that you have in the league at the moment for the kind of parachute payment class and the underclass, basically. But then again, I suppose, while teams like Luton last year, Blackburn this year, QPR kind of up there again Millwall as per usual those teams doing well will all probably all hurt the argument for for changing it because mm. you know there well, is still well, a way of doing it I I think the the, the sort of I, I agree with you about the financial disparity and I agree that that's a problem in the championship but I also think you look at Burnley they've recruited for a very clear playing identity under Vincent Company you look at Sheffield United they've played 352 for the last or variations of it for the last sort of 5 6 years um both those teams have got have gone right where ourselves Birmingham yourselves Reading they ha- you haven't recruited for a clear playing identity you look at your squad and it's an absolute jumbled mess to uh, to be quite honest with you and i think that so yes we can look at it from a point of view of being wronged a little bit in terms of the distribution of wealth but when either of us have had the the wherewithal to spend we've uh, we've not uh, we've not spent wisely and i think it's spending wisely it's having a clear plan it's having a stylistic vision it's having a very rec- rigorous recruitment process these things are all crucial to success in the championship and i think that will be proven this season yeah they're also things that reading simply haven't had i think it's really interesting the noting about like the the clear plan in the transfer strategy mm-hmm. and we've seen clubs like brentford um come up and and with a clear plan uh 
um, and do well in the Premier League. And before that, I mean, maybe like 10 years ago now, Swansea, I feel like, did a similar thing um, mm. or a similar team. Reading certainly can be accused of before the Mark Bowen return of really not purchasing in a smart way. I mean, we're still seeing the the ramifications of bringing in George Pushkas and, and Lucas Zhao in the same week, despite not really having the ability to do that, of course. Um but I do think that since Mark Bowen came in, there have been some really smart um, pickups. And I think that the unifying factor between them all has been they're looking for um, they're looking for guys with great self-starting mentalities. I think um, sometimes you hear football analysts talk about like trying to buy captains and trying to buy guys that are great in the locker room. Um, and if I can spot any similarity in the players that have come in, whether that be Tom Ince, um, whether that be uh, Sam Hutchinson's a good example. Um, I would, I, I, I hope Nabi Sarr is a good example. Um, but it's and Andy Carroll, who it seems did great in the locker room last year with Reading. Um, he had the picture with the rowing the boat uh, as his profile picture on uh, Twitter, even when he was playing for West Brom there, so, or on his cover photo. So he clearly enjoyed his time here and good for the locker room. So I think. That's kind of been what they've been trying to go for this summer. And obviously they've had to pick up the the diamonds in the rough in terms of not having the funds to go after any real players. But it has been nice to see some semblance of a plan in place. Um, mm. Next summer is the key one, obviously. Uh, whether a lot of players out of contracts next summer, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, which is nothing new for Reading fans, unfortunately, in recent <laughs> but, years. But, but we'll uh, be we'll be free of the transfer embargo. We can go and spaff all this money again, and just go and go and spend mm-hmm. ten million pounds on a player and do the whole thing again, can't we? Oh, no, exactly. don't, don't is do Joey that. Van, is Joey Van der Berg available? <laughs> we can sign George Puskas all over again. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. No, I know. It's, it's, I felt the same when Gav was saying about you know clear transfer strategy and everything. It is really just something that that Reading have kind of shown glimpses of at times, but really nothing, nothing. Oh, well, well I think before, before Bowen returned, Mark, it was uh, very much an agent led strategy. And I always think that if your if your whole strategy is led, it's one thing to have relationships with agents. And sometimes you, you need to do certain deals in order to get the deals you really want. And I understand that can be part of football, but when your entire overarching strategy is led by one or two agents, then I think you have massive problems because those agents have their own independent agenda. They're not paid by the football club to to serve Reading Football Club, and I think that's that's kind of where where you have a lot of problems. Um, and um, and and yeah, I, I think I'm I'm really glad that Mark Bowen has come in because I think he's uh, brought a lot of operational nice and hopefully things can sort of steadily. I mean, to be honest, I think you're quite lucky to be able to have another chance to rebuild in the Championship because I thought you would have had to rebuild in and do this process in League One. So I think you've got to be quite grateful for that, if I'm honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're the, I mean, talk about agent-led transfers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we we know we know what happens with that. <laughs> I think there's yeah, been one, one of the massive problems with Reading and uh, Kia Javachvin's kind of era, if we even call it that. But um, so in terms of what all this championship stuff means for the second half of the season and for Reading, what do we think then? I'll get you guys to both hand over a prediction for a finish in a minute. Oh so my God. prepare yourself ah. for probably one of the most difficult questions that I can ask you. Oh. But um, in the meantime, we can have a bit of a dig into what's what's kind of the good chance, if there is a good chance, of Reading springing a late run towards the championship. What's kind of the, the good chance of Reading collapsing and being punished for all these things that, you know, we have gone wrong at the club over the last years. And so, so Ross, I'll start with you. What's the, what's the direction that you think Reading are most likely to be looking in the second half of the season? I'm going to say that it's going to be good um, because I, I want to get that out of the way early, but um, it really depends on how they get on in December. Um, January, um, sees us play West Brom, Queens Park Rangers, and Sheffield United. So that's going to be a tricky month, and I think and and a lot of those games are away. So I, I think that we're 
are going to want to put some points on the board as soon as possible. So Coventry is not the easiest start, um, but we've got Gabs Birmingham after that um, and Swansea. So I would hope that we can start putting some points together early. Um, I think it's a great point to say that we only need to get to 50 points or around there. That's seven more wins for Reading right now, which feels doable, you know, when you're just looking at the table, obviously. But when you start to look at the fixtures, um, it can become a little bit harder to to find them um, given our current form through October and and November. But I think it's going to be positive if Reading can come out of January you know, having at least won one of those games and maybe drawn another one, then, um, it, you know, the the morale in the group should stay good. And, yeah, I can see Reading, I can see Reading getting there reasonably comfortably this season. Gab, up or down? Um, I think Reading will finish lower than where they are currently. Um, I think for me, the question is how much lower. I don't see Reading having another push back into the top half, if I'm going to be honest. I think a lot is going to depend. So do I see Reading getting somewhere between um, 48 to 50 points um, or possibly passing the 50-point mark? The answer to that would be yes. Um, However, I also have some question marks over what the teams um, below Reading are going to do because I and it's it's very difficult not to, to come at this question from the point of view of the other teams because uh, even if we say Blackpool and Huddersfield go down which I'm not ready to say either of those things are certain yet but even let's say they do there's still one other relegation spot to find um, West Brom I don't think are going to go down under Carlos Corbran Hull and Wigan I think are going to uh, invest Cardiff could be, could be vulnerable but they've got quite a big squad uh, Bristol City have got a lot of talent. Stoke have got uh, Alex Neal. They've got quite a big squad as well. Um, Rotherham have put in some good performances under under Matt Taylor. Uh, Birmingham, my team, well coached by John Eustace. Middlesbrough, I don't think are going to be anywhere near the dogfight. So I think uh, you're kind of I think it's possible I mean, I think it's possible that Cardiff go down, but I, I'm, I'm not quite sure where I am on <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of distracting factors that may so so let let me try and just unpack this in my head for a moment there's a lot of teams that could go down but there's no one that i'm confident or certain will go down and so that's a slight concern for reading because if all those teams take off a lot of point take a lot of points off all the teams that are in the playoff conversation which i think is perfectly possible then i think what reading will need could as i think one of you discussed earlier might end up needing more than 50 points and i think that's where you might encounter some problems especially if we see one or two injuries especially to the likes of um lucas jai for instance um and the injuries at center half continue so um, I realise that's not a very direct answer to the question, but I think so much does depend on this myriad of factors of of, of, of the other teams, really, because I don't see Reading getting much more than, than 50 points. Feel free, either of you, to, to disagree with me on that, but that's probably where I'd sit at the moment. I think it's... Um... It's very diplomatic, isn't it, Ross? I think they're coming. You, you're totally allowed to come onto this podcast and predict that we'll do badly because we do that quite often ourselves, anyway. Right. So, uh, but I, I know it, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Reading, you know, it's it's the championship and it's also Reading. And in terms of, you know, what other teams can do badly, I mean, you can also potentially look above us. I mean, someone like Luton under a new manager now. Um, we'll be yeah. under a lot of pressure. We'll talk a bit. No, later I don't think. I don't Coventry. think. Luton, I, no, I don't think Luton or Coventry are going down myself. Um, but I, I mean, I would be interested to to get either of your views. Like, am I being a little bit harsh here? Do you think you will get more than fifty points? Do you think you'll get to fifty-five or sixty or something like that? I think that if they can go on another little run um, sometime between now and February, it gets to be very difficult to see them going down. Um, and Reading, I, I swear, I mean, maybe every football fan feels like this, but I swear since the dawning of time, Reading have been one of the streakiest teams I can remember, whereby they don't win 
off and on they win in chunks and then they they lose in chunks as well so i think we we lost something like eight in a row last year at one point things got really mm. sour but i can remember several winning runs through the last few years that have been like four or five games strong as I, well as- I, I also just on that i also feel like there's this habit of um you start a season badly and then a new manager comes in and you stay up and mm-hmm. then you start the next season badly and then a new manager comes in and you stay up and a bit like blues actually we've had a few seasons like that um and and actually i thought that trend would continue i thought you'd you know, have a really bad first half of this season uh, yeah. and get rid of Paul Ince, possibly. That, honestly, you know, I hope Paul does well, but, you know, that was kind of how I was thinking of it, if I'm being honest. And I thought it would be about, well, if you got another appointment in, would that person keep you up with, you know, Lucas Shaw and, you know, some of the individual quality Ince and some of the individual quality in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but actually, in fairness to Paul Ince, he's done an absolutely uh, really impressive job um, so far this season. And, and maybe I've been proved a little bit wrong about that. I've been surprised by, um, so I thought that I wasn't a huge fan of Paul Ince through the last half of last season. I thought that he was kind of, riding on one of these streaky waves of momentum that Reading um, can go on from time to time. And and just having somebody who wasn't Velko Paunovic in front of the players, honestly, was was helping at that point. Um, I did not expect Paul Ince to come into the season playing a 3-5-2. Um, I thought I wasn't, I wasn't aware that, um, Paul Ince was as tactically astute enough to understand that there were formations outside of the 4-4-2 or the 4-5-1. So, um, it's been a pleasant surprise so far this season. And, and also, sorry, sorry, just to jump in on that yeah. as well, Hoylet, uh, wing back. I'd be really interested because that was one of the things he's done to accommodate the, the 3-5-2. How, how would you say that's worked off? I, I Hoylet's been great. Hoylet's been one yeah. of our best performers. And I, and I think that if um I think that if Tom Ince wasn't having the late career revival that he appears to be having, then a lot more people will be talking about Junior Hoylet. The Tower Herstens Ben Thomas can't stop talking about Junior Hoylet. Um <laughs> and I really love him as well. Uh, I think he's a, a great player. I think that he has just that little extra bit of quality that Reading sometimes yeah. need. He's one of the few players that doesn't immediately run out of ideas in the final third. Um, I know what you mean. He's got that. It's like he can kind of, it's almost like he can sort of freeze the picture it Ross, mm-hmm. in that final third, isn't it? It's like he's got that ability and I don't know how to phrase this professionally, but it's like a slight flick of his boot. It's like if he puts a cross in, he can get like a certain angle on it i mean i'm only explaining this with certain body motions that that might not translate particularly well in podcast form but he's got a (laughs) real great though yeah yeah exactly (laughs) he's got a real sort of flamboyance about him in that final third which can make a real difference to the quality of shots or or deliveries definitely it's the one thing that i'm that could make me worry about um reading in the second half of the season is how these players come back from the world cup and um i don't think they're going to massively fall off but i don't i think it's completely natural that before the world cup they were playing out of their skins deliberately to try and make those cup teams so, you know, now that they're back, Junior Hoylet, obviously with the three losses for Canada, I imagine that was quite a deflating experience for him, despite getting to go to the World Cup. Um, so I I do hope that um, that hasn't affected them in any kind of, of negative way. Um, but we'll but sorry, was there someone else at the World Cup that plays for Reading as well? Sorry. So there was Baba Rahman. Um, oh, he, he gave Ghana the Reading experience of Baba Rahman, uh, which was uh, defensive frailty, uh attacking um let's call it mercurial brilliance um yeah it's weird with with babaraman isn't it because i think he was signed in 2015 for chelsea and it was one of those where Mourinho didn't really want him but chelsea did want him because they thought he was supposed to be quite good and i always feel like that's quite a tough experience for a player if you're kind of forced into a club it almost and the manager doesn't want you and it's like I think mentally that's kind of quite a tough process to sort of go through, yeah. I suppose. Um, but I imagine he's kind of better as a wing back than than maybe as a full back. I don't know what you think, Matt. Yeah, and I think he was. Um, I think at Chelsea he was signed. Was it the same window that Michael Hector signed? Is why I heard of him because uh, Michael probably, Hector yeah. went at the same time. Um, he had. I know he had a lot of injury problems. He's um, speaking before the World Cup about how he's kind of coming back from that. But he's I think he's another one who has suited the 3-5-2. And Reading, 
I mean, we have Nesta Guinness Walker, but isn't necessarily of championship quality for a 46 game season. So Reading fans having him. Yeah, back I was, was surp- I was surprised when you went for for Guinness Walker. With, yeah. with all- we were as well i think to surprise is probably a good way of putting it yeah. but um but yeah i think Harmon's going to be a, a pretty consistent cog in this team moving forward with Hoylett and guinness walker as kind of the alternatives even the year can move over which is good so i'm gonna to have to press you guys into a prediction then we've had enough time to think about it um i will go first so that you're not making it absolute fools of yourself and i will say that i think reading are going to finish 16th this year um which I always feel like there are three positions that every championship club or every championship fan thinks they're going to finish. It's either sixth that they'll sneak into the playoffs, eighth that they'll have a good season but just miss out, or 16th that they'll just kind of fizzle and fade. And unfortunately, I've gone for the cliche of of us fizzling and fading in the last few weeks because I think while we saw last season, Reading did have a really good kind of space of form and then had a few games of it kind of drifting away I think if Reading you know Ross was talking about those runs earlier having a um you know between now and February if it happens in March or whatever I think we'll go on one of those as well and I think that'll take us clear and then probably when it's clear I don't I can't see us having the momentum maybe by then it'll be too late anyway but to push into the playoffs um I don't see us having so Ross what are you going to say for a prediction I'm going to say we finish exactly where we are right now in uh, in 13th place. I think that um, it's going to stay relatively tight in the championship for a long time. So I could see us finishing 13th and 18th place being two points behind us or something like that. Um, but I'm going to say that a run... Um, a run some point in the winter is going to see us home and dry. And again, for me, if the season's over for us by March... That's jobs are good and everything's fine. Gab, what you reckon? This is such a difficult one for me, Mark. Because and I know I know we're a little bit pushed for time, so I'll try and I'll try and wrap this up a little bit. But um, I th- I think it's very difficult to predict something for Reading when I've got no idea where I am with the Championship's bottom half. Um, I'm certainly not certain that Blackpool and Huddersfield will will go down. Um, and certainly I. <laughs> Wigan could improve under Colo Torre. The, the, the issue that I have is that I expect Wigan and Hull to invest in January. Cardiff have a good defensive record and they've been creating chances. Bristol City have players like Alex Scott and Tommy Conway. Stoke, I think, are going to improve under Alex Neal. Um, uh, West Brom under Carlos Corbran. Middlesbrough under Carrick. Blues, I can't see us dropping off under under Eustace. Um, and Rotherham, I think, have, have, have been playing quite well under Matt Taylor. And I know that that's a lot of teams to mention when it comes to Reading's prediction, but all these it's very difficult to discount all these things. I don't know if Reading are going to improve their squad in January because I think that the, the resources are going to be quite tight. So for an honest prediction... I do think that Reading will get dragged in still to a relegation battle. I know you'll probably disagree with that and same with you, Ross, but that's kind of how I see it going because I think that um, there's not a huge gap between the bottom half teams and the top half teams. So I think that a lot of, I think there'll be a bit of an evening out where some of the teams towards the bottom will pick up a lot of, a lot more points and that's where Reading could get dragged into some jeopardy. However, I'm not brave enough to go on to the Talhurst End podcast and say Reading are still going to go down <laughs> when you're currently mid-table. So I'm going to say you're going to finish 20th uh, and finish um, a few places above the drop zone. The money arrived in your account then, did it, Gab? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we gave up it's on predicting It's more my life for us. We, we, I, we, I don't want to invest in security when everyone else goes to the Madstad. Yeah, that's fair. Security <laughs> at the select car leasing stadium is definitely needed. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we, we gave up on predicting relegation a good eight weeks ago, so it's totally out of fashion now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, t- I, I totally understand your point. I think it is... It is just going to be, I think what I would say about those teams you've mentioned is I think a couple of them, I think there's a good chance that they'll crash and burn. People will quite rightly say there's a chance that Reading will crash and burn as well. But I kind of look at a Cardiff or a Hull, um, 
I still, I mean, we don't know about Wigan. Obviously, Colo Torres in his first management. Now we, he could be great. But, but, but Mark, awesome, so. j- just just on this though, uh, Wigan didn't spend an awful lot in the summer. I think they're going to have a lot of capital to invest to back Colo Torres because this is someone who's worked at Celtic and Leicester. Like I don't think he's taking the Wigan job without some reassurances. And then you look at Hull, where they've got the Turkish Simon Cowell as owner. They brought in Jean Michel Siri from Fulham, the title winner last season um they're going to have a bit of capital to spend for Liam Rosinha I don't think Reading can do anything near that in the market I think their scope is going to be incredibly limited oh, and if there's going to be a few injuries I think that could really take its toll um I remember first half of last season when you ended up with a ridiculous number of injuries and I would just wouldn't worry if you had anything similar to that this time around I would worry a little bit about things dropping off, but I still think you'll be able to just about keep your heads above water, but I don't think it's going to be an easy ride. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, the team that I'm kind of looking at in the lower half that I'm a little bit suspect of right now, oddly, is Stoke. And I know they brought Ooh, Alex okay. in, but they also brought a lot of players in in the summer, um, and they've been buying players for a little while. So I wonder if they might have to be relatively careful with Alex Neal in terms of bringing players in, and that might harm how quickly he's able to put his uh, idea of the team together. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I don't know if I necessarily see Stoke going on a spending spree in January, but I just rate Alex Neal very highly because he's worked miracles at Hamilton Academicals. He's won promotion from this level before with Norwich. He's he's built playoffs chasing sides with Preston North End on a bottom six budget. And he won promotion from League One with Sunderland last season. So this is a, you know, a seven out of 10 championship manager, a bit like Gary Rout at Millwall. And I think with that in mind, I struggle to see an Alex Neil side being relegated. That's just uh, that's just my opinion. Where, whereas I would probably have less confidence in Paul Ince because he doesn't have that yeah. same track record behind him. Be loud and be proud and back the boys and make some noise. Come on, you Rs! Shout out to this week's podcast sponsor, ZCZ Films, showing that age is no barrier to being a hooli hoop. Well, let's talk Coventry then, as that's what's uh, what Reading have up next, Saturday, December the 10th, 2pm at Select Car Leasing Stadium. Um, this is a team that have won four in a row before the break without conceding. So I guess you could say the World Cup came at the wrong time for them. I mean, there's still a lot of off-pitch trauma for Coventry. And the question for us, Gab, is, is that going to unite them and galvanise them and kind of push them onwards? Or as, I guess has has happened in at that club previously in the last few years will it kind of crumble them will it push them back towards the relegation zone and and we'll find a team that maybe is a is kind of scarred from continual because i mean for anyone who doesn't know they've been served with an eviction notice from their stadium so there's uncertainty over that that's probably going to affect their january um spending potentially so what's what way is that one going to go um well i think Coventry have got uh, a handful of uh, top championship playoffs players in Callum O'Hare when fit, uh, Gus Hamer, of course, and absolutely um, the, the the obvious one would be Victor Jokeres, who I'm a, uh, an enormous fan of, and he's running defences ragged at the, ragged at the moment. And I think while the issues with the stadium is probably going to affect the fans because there's a little bit of uncertainty. I don't necessarily know if it changes too much for the playoffs. I think players, I think it's business as usual from that perspective. And I feel like you can overestimate how big an impact that's going to have. So I would still expect a a competitive performance from Coventry City and they've got match winners who can make a real difference on their day. Ross, how do you see this one going? Ooh, um, I think a lot's going to depend on Sam Hutchinson's return to the team. Um, We talked a little bit earlier about how he kind of calms the younger minds in the defense and also having him, I, I, you know, I do think that they might go to the, you know, the Sam Hutchinson, Tom Holmes, and then um, playing Yeardom in the back three um, model that they've done quite a few times, but having him back does mean that if they want to play um, Tom's McIntyre and Holmes, you know, they can play Hutchinson, um, um, in that back three and get yeared and forward might not be a bad thing considering Hoylet's just come back from the World Cup. So um, 
I think also that... just on that, McIntyre is left-footed as well. So there's an, if you're playing with a back three, it helps to have the left centre back being left-footed as well. Exactly. Yeah. Which, by the way, is another reason why Liam Moore might end up because uh, <laughs> I think he's left foot. I might be wrong about that, but um, he certainly plays on the left side of the defense a lot. Um, yeah, I can see us. I think a tidy one-one would be perfectly fine here. Um, let's get off the let's get off the blocks again with a with a point. Um, let's just keep that momentum going, um, or, or get some momentum going even. And um, yeah, I think I think a one-one here, considering that they've won four in a row. Um, I think that's the. I think that would be a perfectly fine result for Reading. Yeah, I think so as well. We'll do a prediction in just a second, but I did have one question to both of you that we put up on the Talos End Twitter earlier, which is if you could have only one of the following as certain to happen on Saturday, which would you prefer? Now, um, Gab, feel free to ch- interchange your team in this, but Reading win 3 0 or England win 3 0. Um, it has actually sparked a, a lot of debate. And actually, what's interesting about the, the replies to this tweet is that pretty much everyone who said it, is absolutely certain that it is England or Reading. And there's kind of, you know, the people saying, oh, you need to give your head a wobble if it's X or Y. But actually, it's 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 interesting how it's gone and also interesting to see the result. I'm going England 3-0 in this because it's the World Cup quarterfinal, um, Nations League, not even a chance or anything like that. And I think that's probably a pretty common um, consensus. Uh, so, Ross, what are you thinking on, on England or Reading? Uh, well, as I sit here in my World Cup cave, um, I, I, you know, I, I have to say England. I think that, uh, you know, leaving England really turned me into an England fan than ever before. Previously, I'd definitely been a club over country guy. But since coming out here, I think there's something about just, you know, watching England and, and enjoying being part of the football community over here. But then being like, and look at our team. It's better than <laughs> yours. <laughs> so uh, I, I, it's England for me. I I I, seeing England beat France in a World Cup quarterfinal would be a pretty special, pretty special thing. What would you say, Gab? Yeah, I think as much as I I um, struggle with this World Cup based on the obvious reasons, I still think that you know England getting to the semi-finals and giving themselves an opportunity to win the World Cup. If England win the World Cup, that goes down in history. That would be the first in my lifetime. And I think it'd be very difficult to go away from that for the sake of uh, Blues getting another three points towards the 50 mark, which I sort of feel like we'll get to anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I would probably go with the England England to beat France 3 now. Now, that's how you make friends on this podcast. Come on and say you don't want Birmingham to win. That's how you do. Yeah. That's how you do things there. Um, Cracking. Well, let's round off with a quick prediction for the game then. And we've got the prediction league, which I will update you on. We had a flurry of scoring before the break. Three guys, Sim, Sim, Westy and Ben, all got the whole score perfect. Handbags and Adam got Watford perfect. So in uh, ascending order, we've got Ollie on five, myself on eight, Westy and Adam on nine points. Sim, who's got eight points in seven games on a bit of a run, he's on 13. Then Handbags and Ben on top for 14. Ross, are you going to stick with your one all? Yeah, I'm going to go with a, it's a, it's a one all and uh, it's a real Andy Carroll goal this time, not one off somebody's knee. Beautiful. What are you going to say for this one then, Gav? 2-1 Coventry, mate. <laughs> I think I'm going to have one all myself as well, which usually, to be fair, usually if, if our fans are predicting one all, then that's not always a great sign that we think we're going to do well. But I think because it's the first game back, I think it's going to be pretty quiet and chill and, you know, maybe a bit edgy and everyone a little bit like a pre-season game, maybe. But um, let's wait and see. So uh, we'll be back after the Coventry game. We'll be back into business as usual. We've got Coventry, then Birmingham the next Friday night. So uh, we won't have Gab on that one because it'll be far too biased to come and give his uh, opinions <laughs> on uh, on Birmingham and Reading. So uh, thanks very much, Gab, for, for popping on and talking all things EFL with us. No problem, Mark. Look forward to uh, look forward to coming on again, hopefully later in the season. And Ross, always a pleasure, mate. Thanks, Mark. Come on, you Royals. Come on, England.
Absolutely. We've got a Saturday footballing feast. It's just as well they changed the kickoff of the Reading game. They were in talks to change the kickoff of the England game to move it slightly further away from Reading. But I think it's fair enough that we we took the hit on that one and moved ourselves a little further away. We'll be back hopefully after a fantastic weekend of football. Thank you very much for listening. Joining us once again as we get back into action for the championship. Come on, your hearts. You smile.